0: New song. Very good. Thank you to our band. And thank you all for worshiping with us this morning in person and online. Um, Today, we are finishing a seven-part message series. It was supposed to be eight. got trimmed down to seven because of snow. But it's a seven-part series that we are calling Renovations. And by this point, if you've been journeying with us through this series, you know what it's about. We are renovating the way that we think about church. Understanding what church isn't, knowing what church is, and really living into that. So we've been on a long journey these seven weeks, and we're finally about to, to land this plane. And all throughout this series, again, we've been talking about what church is, what church isn't. We started out this series really defining what church isn't. Church is not, I repeat, is not a building. It is not an event. It is not a club for Christians. It certainly isn't that. Church is way bigger than any of those things. Church is the movement of Jesus Christ in this world. Church is the creative vehicle through which Jesus spreads hope, spreads the gospel. Jesus created the church for this purpose. And so we are the hope of this world. We really are. And so we've talked about what church is. Church is a movement. And so we've got this global movement. And then we have local churches in the context of a local church. We are supposed to be, I mean, this is the ideal, we are supposed to be an authentic community. You know, this is supposed to be a safe place where we can be ourselves and and receive help and ask for help and help one another and support one another. And that kind of a community that takes time to build to, right? It's a place where you can feel comfortable sharing your weaknesses, sharing the dark, you know, all that stuff that's in the dark corners of our hearts, dark corners of our lives to share that stuff. That takes time. But ideally, that's what church should be, a safe place where we can lower our polite masks and be ourselves. That's what we're working towards. We continued on in this series of week three talking about our specific vision as a local church. As one local church, we have a vision statement. In fact, if you've got a bulletin, that statement is right there on the top of your bulletin. And I would love if we could say that statement together. Would you play along with me? Let's say it together. We are engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. One more time. Engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. I think you probably have that memorized by now, don't you? That's a fantastic thing, and that's who we are, and that's one little sentence that speaks to who we are as a church and what we believe God has called us to do right here in this community. We are the church here in the Ridley-Innerborough area. There are 60,000 neighbors we have here. Do you realize that's a lot of people? Wow, 60,000, and we are the church for the lost in this community. We continue on this series talking about the fact that we do exist for the sake of the lost And so many of us, maybe all of us, I don't know, so many of us in this room, so many of us participating in worship, we have Christian friends who aren't a part of this church, and guess what? I love all of your Christian friends that I haven't met. I love them. But our church doesn't exist for them. Our church exists for the sake of all of your lost friends who don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. We exist for the sake of the lost. Throughout this series, we also talked about what it means to be the grace and truth church, guys. And if you've missed everything else that I've said, I, I don't blame you. We've talked about a lot. <laughs> but that's the one thing to hold on to, is that to be a church, we have to be filled with both grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace is compassion. Grace is not condemning. Grace is not judging. Grace is understanding where other people are coming from. Grace is understanding that all of us have fallen short of God's standards. Not condemning. Not judging. Showing that, that grace. Showing that acceptance. Truth is truth. Truth is acknowledging that there is such a thing as right and wrong, as wise and foolish, as beneficial and detrimental. And so we need both both grace and truth in order to be Christ's church here in this community. We need both of those ingredients. And Christ has called us to love one another, to love our community, to love our neighbors. And in order to love other people, we need both grace and truth. You need both of those ingredients. Grace plus truth equals love we've also talked a bit about leadership last time we met we talked about leadership in the church and there is a a leadership structure an authority structure that exists within the life of a church and sometimes it's your job to lead and sometimes it's your job to follow right and this isn't just in a church setting this can happen in the workplace this can happen in school this can happen in the community when leaders don't lead and when followers don't follow there's all kinds of chaos that can happen right so as one local church we need to acknowledge the authority structure that God has given to us that Christ has set for us And that when it's your turn to follow, you will follow. when it's your turn to lead, you will lead. And it's so important for those of us who are in that position of leadership to earn, sustain, and maintain the confidence of the people that are following us. Isn't that important? And so when it's your turn to lead, you're going to lead. When it's your turn to follow, we are going to follow. And that takes us to the last part in this series. And this is called the partnership. And really today what we're going to focus on is the doing of church. What we are called to do as a church way back week one of this series i mentioned the fact that when i was younger about a teenager i walked into the living room of my house and the tv was on and some preacher was on and he said okay we're gonna do church today we're gonna do church today i thought what is that is church something that you do well the reality is that there is something that needs to be done i mean church isn't just a bunch of beliefs it's not just a bunch of you know time that we gather together and just talk about jesus there is a doing that needs to happen if we are supposed to be a church. The doing is so, so very important. We need to do, we need to do. We can't just believe stuff. We need to actually do something in this community. Um, in the classic, epic Christopher Nolan film, Batman Begins, right? Yeah. Rachel Dawes says to Bruce Wayne, it's not who you are underneath. You guys know the line. Yeah, yeah you know it. It's not who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. You guys remember that moment? Of course you do. It's not who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you, right? I mean, underneath you can have all the right beliefs and you can have the best intentions and you can have the best motives and you can have the right feelings, but it's what you do that defines you. And I think she was right. And later on, Batman is there with Rachel and Rachel wants to know who's underneath the mask and what does Batman say? It's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. Or as Christian Bale said it, it's not who way I'm underneath, but what would I do, that defines me, right? <laughs> and so here's a little bonus sermon for you today. If you're seeking to become Batman, here's, here's a sermon for you, all right? So I don't know if this applies to you, but if you're seeking to become Batman, here's your sermon. If you want to be Batman, you have to do what Batman does, because the being is in the doing, all right? And so that's for all of you out there who are trying to be Batman. But for the rest of us, here's what we need to realize when it comes to Christianity. If you want to be a Christian, the being, hello, is in the doing. The being is in the doing. Now there's a journey that we go on, and some of you have reached a place in your journey where you believe certain things about Jesus. Some of us participating in worship, if not most of us. I don't know the breakdown, right? But most of us, hopefully, have reached a point where we believe that Jesus is who we claim to be. That He is the Son of the living God, that He is equal with God. And we've reached many of us have reached a place where we believe that Jesus did die on the cross for our sins. And many of us have accepted that gift of salvation from Jesus, knowing that we can't earn salvation for ourselves. We've accepted that gift from Jesus. We believe all these things about Jesus. Fantastic. Belief is so important. Don't don't hear me say that belief isn't important because it is. But now that we've believed, now that we've received, what do we do, right? The being of a Christian is in the doing. The being is... The, you can write that down, the being is in the doing. You can look back over your notes and it won't make any sense to you in the future. But the being, the being is in the doing. So, I guess we should figure out what it is that we're supposed to do, right? If we're going to be individual followers of Jesus Christ, we need to know, well, what is it we're supposed to do? And if we're going to be a church, we need to figure out collectively what is it that church is supposed to do? Because the being of a church is in the doing of what a church is supposed to do, right? The being is in the doing. You might be surprised to discover how easy it is for us churches to lose our way, for us to get confused or for us to forget what is it we're supposed to do again as a church? Wait a minute, no worship. what is it we're supposed to do? We're supposed to gather and worship? Okay, well, that's, that's part of it. We're supposed to serve other people? Absolutely, that's, that's a big part of it. We're supposed to love other people? Well, sure, we love other people, and serving is kind of a part of love. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we're supposed to do, but if we could boil it down to the main thing, what is it that we're supposed to do as a church? I think it would be helpful for all of us. I know it's helpful for me. If I could be able to answer the question, hey, what is it that church is supposed to do? If I had like a way to answer that question, maybe, like I don't know, a sentence, or maybe just a couple words, that would really be helpful to me because I know that in my faith and in my journey, I need to be redirected. I need clarity. I need to know what is it that I'm supposed to do, right? In fact, growing up in a church setting, that's one of the things that had me so frustrated. Growing up. I was like, what is it I'm supposed to do? What is it I'm supposed to not do? It just felt like there's so many things. i got to show up at this place. i got to give my money. i got to give my time. i got to give my service. i got to evangelize to other people. What is it I'm supposed to do? We need to know what it is we are supposed to do. So let's take a look at what it means to be the church. Knowing that the being is in the doing. Take a look at this scripture passage that's in your bulletin that Joyce read for us. Oh, she didn't. You didn't read that for us, did you? Was that, la- was that last week you read? Okay. Listen, all these Sundays blur together. <laughs> I don't know how I insulted more, you or Bob. I don't know. <laughs> Bob, thank you for reading for us. All right. So take a look at this passage. It's from Matthew. Take a look at where we are in the timeline here, okay? And so at this point, Jesus was crucified. He's resurrected. He's speaking to us. These are parting words before He ascends into heaven. And so here's what He's telling them. He's telling them what to do, all right? This, uh, this is important. This passage is often referred to as the Great Commission, All right, and I I try to think of like a better term for that. I don't think there is one. This is it. It's the Great Commission. Here's the thing that Jesus is telling his first disciples, the first church. These are the people that made up the first church. He's telling them what to do. You're about to go into the world and do something. Let's take a close look at this. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's so important. That's so important right there. And you talk about the authority structure that exists within the life of a church. You talk about the leadership structure. Here's what we need. This, is, this belongs to Jesus. You go back to week one of this series. It's one of the things I mentioned way back in week one. This thing belongs to Jesus. We as Christians do not have permission to hijack the church out of Christ's hands. It belongs to Him. This church belongs to Jesus. All, and He's earned the authority You know, this question of authority, I mean, over over the course of my life, it comes up from time. Who has the authority to tell us what to do and how to live our lives? Is it this government? Is it that government? Is that body? Is that? Who tells? No, Jesus has actually earned and has the right to the authority to tell us how to live our lives and what to do. And what he's saying is true. All authority has been given to me, right? I'm the boss, applesauce. That's what my my translation says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I'm going to tell you what to do. Therefore, go... And tell people what they're doing is wrong. Is that, what, is that what your version says? No. Therefore, go and condemn other people who aren't as spiritual as you are. No, that's not it either, is it? <laughs> Therefore, go and make people feel bad about the bad choices they've made. No, that's not, that's not, that's not it. Therefore, go and make converts. Nope, not even that. Not even that. What does it say? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. I'm fascinated by the history. Okay, history is so important. You know, the history of this time period, what was going on here. Um, This next message series that we're going to do um, focuses so much on the history of the time of Jesus. And it's fascinating to see how Jesus keeps in line with the traditions of his day and where he breaks away, right? And so Jesus, he enters into this world, he serves as a rabbi, he is a rabbi, and so in that culture, um, this was a thing, this was a pre-established structure that existed in the Jewish community. You had these traveling teachers, you had these rabbis, and a rabbi would choose disciples, and often the way it would work is basically, I, I don't know, the modern day equivalent would be like kind of applying to college, right? And you apply, and you get accepted, or you get rejected, right? It's not a perfect comparison. But anyway, people would say, oh, I'd like to be your disciple, and the rabbi would say, okay, yes, or we'd say, no, I don't think you have what it takes, right? And so Jesus, he broke the mold, he broke that structure, he went out and chose his disciples. They didn't go to him. He, he went out and found them. So there he is, and so the normal structure, a disciple would train with a rabbi for 15 years. You heard me, 15 years. Can you imagine 15 years to graduate, right? Now, I know it took me some time, right? It took me seven years before I finished my undergrad, all right? You know, it takes some of us a long time, okay? But 15 years, and then after that 15-year period, then the disciple would become, da-da-da-da, a rabbi. He breaks the mold again. And Jesus, his disciples had about three, three and a half years with him. And then he tells them, guess what, guys? You're not going to graduate to rabbi. Instead, you're going to go into this world, and you're going to make disciples See, they weren't making their own disciples. Jesus was talking to Peter and to James and John and Andrew and the rest. He went, okay, Peter, you're not going to go out and make disciples of Peter, right? Andrew, you're not going out to make disciples of Andrew, right? No, that's not how it works. Jesus is the last rabbi. And he tells his disciples, you're going to stay disciples and you're going to be disciples that make disciples. You're going to stay disciples. Jesus remains the rabbi. We stay disciples, and we're disciples that make more disciples. Not our own disciples, but disciples of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. This baptism, this is a ceremony. It's an outward reflection of what's going on inside of a person. Many of you have experienced this baptism. You know what that's about. It's, it's sort of like a wedding in some ways. It's a ceremony. I mean, you know, you come up and you show people and you present yourself in front of an audience, present, present, yourself in, present yourself in front of the public saying, I am now a part of this. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I'm a part of this movement. Just baptize and then teach them, these disciples that you're making, teach them to obey truth, grace and truth, truth. Teach them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely, words of encouragement, surely I am with you always to the end, to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples. What is it we're supposed to do? I just heard somebody say it. Two words. What are we supposed to do? Are you allowed to to call out in the middle of a church service? I don't know about that. What are we supposed to do? Make disciples. All right. Well, let's close in prayer. We got it, right? We figured it out. What's the doing? We know what the doing is. We make disciples. All right. Fantastic. How do we do that? (laughs) How do we make disciples? How do we do that? Over the years, I've talked about this whole making disciple process, this discipleship thing is is sort of a pendulum, okay, that swings back and forth, right? And so part of making disciples is working, I'll, I'll talk about this from a leadership perspective, part of making disciples is working with people who already believe, right? With people who already believe that Jesus is the Son of God, people who believe that he's died on the cross for their sins, people who believe and now they're ready to take that step into obeying everything Jesus has commanded. And so that's part of discipleship. I mean, Jesus spells it out for us. That's part of making a disciple is teaching people to obey. Here are the rules Christ has given us. Here are the boundaries God has given us to live within. And so that's part of making a disciple. And so then there's the other end of it. The pendulum swings the other way. The other end of discipleship is making new disciples, right? Sharing with people who don't already believe in Jesus. Sharing the truth of the gospel. The gospel is central. The gospel is central. Sharing what Jesus has done with people who don't yet believe. And then those people become believers, and then you help train them up in the ways of Jesus. And they get to a place where they know and can communicate and articulate, and then they make more disciples. And tick talk. the pendulum swings back and forth. That's leadership. I mean, that's discipleship from a leadership perspective. What about from the individual perspective? All right? Think about it this way. What can you do? There are two things that you need to focus on. What can you do to actively participate in your own discipleship, right? That's the question. What can you do to actively participate in your own disciple being or your own disciple becoming? What can you do to better learn, better understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus? What can you do? And uh, disciples engage in various disciplines. Same root word, right? discipline disciple different practices different things that we do what can you do to engage in your own discipleship you can serve okay christ commanded us to serve so you can serve take care of somebody take care of somebody in your neighborhood take care of a family member meet needs that you are able to meet absolutely you could serve within the church community right whether that means you're serving a nursery or you're giving out bulletins, you're greeting or you're running our stream or whatever. All these kind of Sunday morning things, absolutely. There's service opportunities, absolutely. When you engage in a service opportunity, you are engaging in your own discipleship. Fantastic. In your own disciple making, your own disciple becoming. Small groups. Bible studies, you know, things like, I don't know, reading the Bible, praying, having that daily quiet time. This is all part of your own disciple making process, your own discipleship. Then there are other things you can do to help make new disciples. What about that service thing that we talked about? Well, you're serving people. Maybe the people that you're serving don't yet know Jesus as Savior, Acts of service are acts of love, and so you're working with other people. Not only are you participating in your own discipleship, you are participating in the discipleship of others. And so it's up to us as the church to share the gospel, to share the gospel, to share the truth of who Jesus is with other people in our lives. That's certainly part of making disciples, right? Serving, sharing, loving, caring, all these things, meeting needs that need to be met. You're working on making disciples, right? And if you've got somebody in your life that has believed, you can start training them up. And how do you do that? Well, you can invite. The simplest thing, one of the simplest things that you can do in helping make new disciples is to invite. Right? You've got to think about it from these two, two different perspectives. What am I doing right now to participate in my own discipleship? And what am I doing right now to help disciple somebody else? What is it? And so one of the things that you can do is invite. Invite that person in your life to your small group, Right? Invite that person in your life to a worship service or to a service opportunity. Now, I know what you're thinking. There's a pandemic right now that complicates things. Yeah, maybe it does complicate things. So get creative, man. Think of other things you can invite them to. Plus, by the way, you know, we've got a live stream. It's never been easier to invite someone to a worship service. Do you realize that? Send them a link, right? Isn't that easy? Boom, send them a link, right? That's one thing you can do to actually help disciple somebody else is to invite them to a worship service, whether that's in person or online. It's a powerful thing that you can do. Let me talk about that a little bit. Um, So this whole Sunday morning event, this thing that we do, uh, sometimes, and this has happened to me too, uh, sometimes those of us who are Christians can be a little bit afraid to invite our lost friends, loved ones, family members to a worship service, right? Right? Sometimes you think, well, I don't know, what, what if the message topic is kind of weird, or what if the pastor's talking about money, or what if the pastor's talking about sex, or something like that, you know, I don't know. I don't know how my lost friend is going to take to this stuff, right? Or what if it's one of these really challenging messages, I don't know, I don't know if I want to invite now, maybe now's not the great time to invite. I, I, listen, I felt the same way. I felt the same way. In fact, uh, in our history, there are times when, um, you guys remember the theater? Some of you were, back. You, Barnstormers Theater, you remember that? Some of you were back from those way, way back in those old days. Um, but I can remember one Sunday, and I had a really tough message to give, and I saw a family of visitors walk through the door, and I said, oh, man, we ain't never going to see them again. <laughs> but guess what? We did see them again, and now they're a part of this church, right? And so my point is this. You never know, right? Some of these tough messages... Some of these, even when I talk about like money or talk about sex or some of this stuff like that, some of these tough messages, I mean, you don't know. Maybe it's exactly what the lost person in your life needs to hear. Maybe it is. You know, especially when I'm saying something that's very challenging to Christians, you know, because sometimes I feel like I give us Christians a hard time. Sometimes lost people love that. It's like, yeah, that pastor's right. Christians need to get their act together, right? And so don't don't be afraid of that. I've, I've felt it too. Don't be afraid of inviting something. right? Don't be afraid to invite someone else to participate in worship. Send the link. You know, Those of you who are worshiping online, send the send a link. Say, so let's watch together. You and your house, I'll be in mine. Bada bing, bada boom. It's just that simple. To that point, I will say this. There are seasons in our life together as a church where we do, where I do, specifically try to create opportunities for you to invite the lost people in your life to a worship service. In fact, take a look at the back of your bulletin. Starting in two weeks on March 7th, we're going to do a new message series called Enemy of the Empire. And I believe uh, you should have received an email at 11 a.m., so while I've been up here talking, that gives you all the details about this message series. This is an in-depth look at the history surrounding Jesus' life and that week leading up to the crucifixion and then on to the resurrection of Jesus, okay? And so this series will take us through looking at the historical events around the life of Jesus during that time period. Take us through to Easter morning. This would be the ideal type of message series to invite your friends and family members to. The ideal, right? Someone in your life who doesn't yet believe. Someone in your life that you love and you've been praying for, right? Right? Are you like me? Do you have a list of people that you've got their names written down, you're praying for them, you're praying for them? This would be the ideal thing to send to somebody else. In fact, it might be great if you just said, listen, I'll come to your house and I'll sit outside and we can watch this together. I'll be on my phone, you can be on your phone, bada bing, bada boom, right? And so we're creating this very intentionally as an opportunity for you to connect with the lost people in your life and give them something, invite them to something. Taking a look at the story of Jesus and the events surrounding, again, the crucifixion in the the resurrection. And so that's one thing that you can do. You can make that invitation, right? And so you're focusing on what's something I can do? What am I doing to participate in my own discipleship? And over here, what am I doing to help disciple somebody else? Because what we're called to do as a church is make disciples. And so if we're called to make disciples, if we're created to make disciples, then, then we need to make disciples. Because the being, a church, is in the doing of what a church does. And what does the church do? Makes disciples. And so I want to leave you with some specifics to think about. What is one thing that you can do to more actively engage in your own discipleship? What is it? Maybe, maybe you used to have some kind of quiet time habit. Maybe you used to read the Bible on a daily basis. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to give that a try. Right? to spend some time early in the morning or just before you go to bed reading from God's Word. It's a great discipline to engage in. Maybe your prayer life has gotten a little bit wonky with everything going on in the past year and the ups and downs and the turmoil. Maybe, maybe it's time to re-engage and set some, some standards around that prayer time. Here's where I'm going to pray. Maybe it's time to journal. Anybody do the journaling thing? You don't have to raise your hand. That's so powerful. Just to sit down with God. And it's not just about reading the Bible. To write down, here's here's what I think God is saying to me. Here's my question. Just journaling. It's a powerful, powerful way to engage in your own discipleship. Or maybe it's this experience. Maybe it's the worship experience. You know, I really feel for all of you out there participating online, it's so difficult. I mean, you know that it's not the same as being here in person. And guess what? For those of us who are worshiping here in person, it's not the same for us to not have you with us, all right? This is not the same for any of us. And so I think all of us need to really have some some increased intentionality, what we're bringing to the worship service. I mean, this worship time can be so powerful. We will get out of it what we put into it, though. So I would encourage you, whether you're worshiping in person or online, to to bring your full selves to that worship service. If you're online, to make that specific, to tune in on time, to sing the songs as weird as it feels, to stand up by yourself in your living room and sing those songs. I know it's weird, but there's healing in worship. We were made, guys, use guys, listen up. We were made to worship. We were made to worship. We need this time. And I realize it's not ideal, but we need it. There is healing, guys. There's healing that can be found when we give ourselves over to worship. And so what's one one thing? All right, I gave you a list of things that you can do. What's one thing that you can do to actively participate in your own discipleship? And let's swing over here. What's one thing that you could do to actively participate in somebody else's discipleship? What's one thing you can do? Maybe... Maybe it's just praying for somebody. Maybe it starts there. you got somebody in your life that you love that does not yet know Jesus as their Savior. Make a commitment to Jesus that you're going to pray for this person. Pray for this person. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's an invitation. Maybe it's sending a link to a worship service, right? Maybe it's an act of service. I don't know what it is, but what's one thing, okay, you got stuff to choose from. What's one thing you can do to actively participate in somebody else's discipleship? Focus on that. One thing you can do for yourself in your own discipleship, one thing you can do to help somebody else in their disciple journey. Think about that. We as a church, we've been called to do both. (laughs) To train up people, to teach people, to help people that already believe, and to help people that have not yet believed yet understand and make a case for Christ, to show people the gospel. This whole church business is all about making disciples. We are Guys, none of us are rabbis. We are disciples. None of us are finished yet. None of us have reached rabbi level. None of us have graduated Christianity. None of us have our black belt in Christianity. We are disciples. We are disciples that make disciples. We are disciples that make disciples. That's what it means to be a church. We are disciples that make disciples. Let's pray on that. Father God, we thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for your church. And Father God, we thank you most of all for sending Jesus into this world to be our Savior, dying on the cross in our place. And Jesus, you know that we are still in process. We're not finished growing. We're not finished. We haven't graduated. And so, Father God, I pray for each one of us right now. Show us. Show us that next step you would have us take in our own discipleship. Father, I also pray that you would lay on our hearts right now a a burden for the lost in our lives. Show us what we can do to help make new disciples, to disciple someone else. Lord Jesus Christ, we believe what you have said, that all authority belongs to you. And so allow us to do the very thing that you have called us to do. Allow us to go into this community, into our world, and make disciples for you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.